Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode, bonus episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 156 with Vilka Hoy of Bridge to College. Uh, we had a wide-ranging conversation, breaking down some myths and stigmas and uh, preconceived notions around college rankings and prestige, uh, and it boils down to how can we help guide and support students to make the best decisions for where they go to college uh, around a multitude of factors. So, uh, you know, it's a conversation that we've covered uh, recently uh, of how to make the most out of college while you're there, but this kind of uh, helping students to make better informed decisions and make sure that they are successful and actually graduate from college. So i uh, really enjoyed talking with Vielka. Uh, just it was a great time and a great conversation. Uh, definitely connect with her to keep the conversation going. But uh, without further ado, after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 156, a bonus episode with Vielka Hoy. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. I am super excited for our conversation today. There's a lot that I want to cover with our guest, uh, just talking kind of broadly about some trends uh, in higher education around uh, college rankings, which I feel like it's gotten a lot of uh, conversation, discussion in the zeitgeist, and uh, also stop out students, which we've covered once before, but I really like the opportunity to, to dive in again, uh, definitely at this point in the moments uh, that higher ed is going through. So uh, without further ado, we'll get uh, get to it, as we always do, starting with our uh, guests introducing themselves and giving a brief overview of their professional background and how they got to be where they are today. Oh, great. Um, so yeah, my name is Vialka Oy. I'm the CEO and founder of Bridge to College. I have been teaching um, for about um, 20 years, and then I went to be a teacher trainer um, and ed tech specialist at Stanford. Um, but during that time, I uh, started a consulting company um, for college admissions that uh, I wanted it to specialize in under-resourced students. And we went, or I went from five students to, to 70 in a year. And I was like, how do we scale this thing? So um, started Bridge to College and um, Bridge to College uses not just my experience in education, but also my research um, in race and access to higher ed and some uh, machine learning. So. Got it. Um, well, I guess, because uh, I'd like to maybe get into like the origin story, maybe how that helped inspire or kind of helps motivate the work that you do every day uh, with Bridge to College. So sort of like, you know, getting into teaching and doing all this for, for so long, like what was sort of that yeah. initial, initial catalyst to, to get into education? Oh, um, in education in general, I think, you know, my, um, my parents are immigrants from Central America. They're from Nicaragua and Panama. And, you know, they came because of war, you know, not necessarily because they wanted to. <laughs> um, and they thought, like, as long as we're here, we take advantage of the education in this country. So, you know, myself and my cousins, we always really prioritized education. Um, and while I was at Berkeley, I got some kind of note that I was going to be a first something like a, <laughs> the first Afro Latina to do something. And I was just like, mm -hmm. wow, this is 2000 something. We can't still be doing first. Um, and I just, 
I, it just felt wrong to me that, so I really wanted to turn that around. And, um, and I think the other part of it was, you know, I, as you're teaching, (laughs) you're putting everything you can into the classroom and, and you just kind of casually ask students like, Oh, what do you want to do later? And they would say, I don't know. I'll just work at Home Depot. And you're like, what? (laughs) After all that we just did, (laughs) it's like, what do you mean? And, um, and, and the same sort of theme, it was always this, like, I don't really know how to write an essay or everybody tells me I can't afford college and like all these things that it's not, you know, ne- necessarily the case. And I just, just really wanted to, to change that. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Cause I think it is like, in so many ways, like, I think that is like so many people's stories where like, they yeah. don't they don't get understand or, you know, can really fathom the opportunities and potential, you know, the options that are uh, available to them, especially people who just, uh, you know, are first generation and those sort of things, yeah. they just don't have kind of that shorthand and understanding, you know, so readily at their disposal. So uh, I guess that sets up just to make sure that we kind of break it down uh, more precisely, like sort of day to day, kind of what are the nuts and bolts of what Bridge to College does? Yeah. Um, so Bridge to College, um, we use um, a bunch of algorithms to match students to colleges that are an academic, financial, and social fit. Um, so students go on the platform, they take a survey. Um, we have always been sort of pandemic ready, so we, we don't use the SAT or ACT to match. Um, those things, as we know, are not the best predictor of college success. Um, mm-hmm. And we, um, we use pass fail options. Again, that was a, you know, something we were easily um, able to integrate as a result of the pandemic. And we only ask about courses that actually matter. You know, kids always say, I have a 4.0 and it's like five, you know, semesters of office assistant. And you're like, that doesn't count. <laughs> so um, courses at uh, colleges actually matter. But the, the real um, special piece about Bridge to College is we do this social fit, um, which sort of contextualizes the data for the colleges. So all of that is free for students. They can communicate with colleges, learn about colleges. All of that's free as, as it should be, right? Like you shouldn't be charging kids to find out information that will change their lives. <laughs> um, and um, But on the college side, what we do to them is we say, here are students that are great matches to your school, but you would have missed them because you're stuck on this calculus requirement or you're stuck on this financial requirement where this student here went to a school that didn't even offer calculus and is, is a great fit otherwise, but they probably need $1,000 more a year to go. Um, and you guys should just pay that because it's worth it. Um, and, and so that's, that's the quick way. Um, the other thing that we do for high schools is, um, especially for where we find most under-resourced students is, um, are at high schools that have these ridiculous ratios, you know, 800 students for one counselor. So what we do for them is we're able to provide, um, college access resources, um, including, you know, seeing where their students are matched, seeing what courses the students need to take, um, other things to motivate them to, to keep um, on the sort of on that sort of track. And um, what we're building are more tools for high school counselors um, to to be able to access all the co- uh, college application materials. Yeah, that's great. It's very 
comprehensive. And I think I've, I've been seeing, you know, for I think the past couple of years, just a lot more movement in the direction of, you know, just helping students make better informed decisions about where they go. And that it has sort of opened the sort of doors of, you know, potential and opportunity. Um, whereas, you know, it might just be kind of limited to schools that are in their neighborhood or something, you know, stuff that right. they just see maybe the ads for all the time. But yeah, like there could be a better fit in all those kind of categories uh, and trying to kind of thread that needle where it's like, okay, if we can really like kind of manage all those sort of areas of social, financial, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know what you want to study and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Where it came up for us too, I should mention is because um, originally I was just doing this sort of academic and financial fit. So where could you graduate from? And, that, and the key was graduating, not just getting in um, and will meet, it will meet your financial needs. And so we, you know, I was doing that and I guess not to say that it was somewhat easy, but it was, it was the easiest of, of the matching and students started saying to me, um, well, now that you, we've done that, where will I thrive as a black female student? Where, where should I go as a trans student? Um, where, you know, we had a, a family call us, um, they lived on a reservation in Oklahoma and literally had never left. So in their case, um, they were sort of matched to really great schools, you know, Harvard, MIT, and these sorts of things. But if you've literally never left that like two square mile um, section in Oklahoma, like, is that really going to be the place that you're going to to thrive and not get lost? Right. So um, that's when we started to develop that additional, um, those additional criteria. Um, and, you know, as we're seeing in these conversations um, around trans athletes and, L- and um, other LGBTQ um, students and critical race theory and higher ed, you know, these are things that students are wondering, um, where, where, where will I go that I'll, I'll at least be welcomed right? and safe? Um, and that's, that's a huge, um, that's the, the really huge draw of the, the social fit. I, I appreciate that you've uh, been very comprehensive also in your, uh, answer here of acknowledging, yeah. uh, yeah, standardized tests and, uh, you know, that's been definitely having sort of a disruptive, uh, couple of years here. And then, yeah, yeah so much of what is happening, like literally right now as the recording of this episode and that really, yeah, absolutely being important for students being in their decisions about where to go, which I think, you know. Uh, some folks uh, may overlook because I think because uh, it's exactly right of where you know the sort of bare minimum here is helping a student determine where they can get in. Uh, but right. I love that you kind of have taken that mindset of like where are you going to fit in, feel safe, and be successful and graduate because yeah, I mean I know we'll kind of get to this a little bit later, but you know there's so many of the students that have you know some college no degree and you know really trying right. to. Uh, address that. So I want to make sure that we give uh, kind of a acknowledgement of another aspect of this whole kind of segment of how students choose where they go to college is uh, college rankings, where I feel like, you know, uh, institutions of, uh, often love them because they can tout, you know, look at us and how great we are. Uh, you know, it does, I think, help uh, to an extent, maybe, you know, uh, students try to kind of filter and make some more informed decisions. But curious your take, because I, I can kind of take them or leave them, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, what are your opinions on college rankings as a way for uh, prospective students to navigate the college search? Yeah, I, I, they're, they're pointless. Um, <laughs> they, um, I would say they're better for if, 
for donors. Um, and if a donor wants to figure out where to put their money, that's a really useful tool. But for, you know, a student who's trying to figure out, um, you know, where am I going to graduate on time? You know, who, which school is sort of proactive about sexual assaults? Where, what school is actually going to fund me? Like, <laughs> those don't answer any of those questions. Um, um, and they're also interesting. I, I recently picked up, um, what's it called? Weapons of Math Destruction. Uh, and she, uh, the author argues that those rankings are also sort of self-fulfilling. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, they, um, especially in how those algorithms correct themselves, you know, so, you know, people apply to the school because they're highly ranked, which then makes them highly ranked because then everybody's applying to just those schools, you know. So it's just, it's not um, useful most of the schools on the platform are schools that most students have never heard of. Um, and we tell them like, you will probably need to get a jacket. <laughs> but so other than that, it's a great school. You'll get in, you'll get out, you'll be paid for. And, um, and that's sort of the point, you know? Um, but um, I, I think the, the, the rankings just do a really huge disservice, I think to the majority of students because they assume that um this is an indicator of their potential or how smart they are. Um, and um, it, it, it isn't any of those. Um, and so um, it just, yeah. I feel like that's like a clear answer though, where it's just like, you know, for my question where it's like, Oh, do, like how do they fit in for like prospective students? Like they don't, they're useless. And I think yeah. <laughs> in my head where it's like, kind of like the idea where I'm like, yeah, whatever, like take it, believe it. It's like, is that how you kind of framed it is right where it's like, they have utility, but for not what people think they do, where it's right. just like, it should be just this like, I don't know, calculator for, you know, whatever else, but not touted and advertised and promoted out to okay. students to help inform where they go to college kind of thing. It could be just for, yeah, like alumni relations places to be like, look how prestigious we are. Like, you should give us your money. Like, Correct. you know, just like, cool. Yeah, it calculates that pretty well. This sort of ambiguous sort of nebulous, you know, self-constructed you know sort of idea of quote-unquote prestige um you know and it's one of those things where i think about where like it works for everybody involved so it's like like you said like self-propagating so it's like yeah like you know all these prestigious places love being able to say like yeah for 20 years running we've been like number one blah blah (laughs) like and it works for us and news and world report because they get all the traffic or money or whatever fees to do this or that yeah um so yeah we had a family um come to us we didn't ultimately work with them because the we weren't aligned in our values but they said they would only apply initially. She said, my son's only going to Berkeley or Yale. And she was like, I don't want you telling him about any other college unless it's on these rankings, right. In the top 10 or something. And I was like, I really have to ask like, what, what do you think (laughs) the rankings are sort of telling you? She's like, I want real professors. I was like, Oh, those are all legit PhDs at the other schools too. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was just really convinced that they just weren't even real schools. And, but the, the real sort of damage was, I was like, you're, you know, her son, there was not an A anywhere on that transcript. (laughs) And, um, and it was honestly mostly C's. Um, And, and I was like, there's plenty of schools that would admit him with his grades, but it's, it's honestly not going to be Berkeley or Yale. Um, and she was like, you know, he's an athlete. And I said, he's not even, he's barely, that's not going to work. 
<laughs> especially at like these schools too. And so she just, she pressed me really hard. So she said, what does he need to do to get to Berkeley or Yale? And I, and I was kind of joking, but I said, he needs to do high school over again. And she goes, well, that's what we'll do. <laughs> so then, I was like, good luck. I don't, I don't know what to wow. tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's like, yeah, like the, you know, wild part of that is that like, you know, you're having this conversation and uh, yeah, it gets kind of all stuck up and kind of warped by, you know, the rankings and perceptions of, you know, quality and value. Whereas it's like, if we were able to just, you know, I'm, I'm imagining like, if you were able to sort of like rewind and just be like, your child could grow to a great place, get a good yep. education and, you know, be gainfully employed and all that, like, yep. you know, it's all just getting all twisted and sort of tangled through like, well, they need to go to a top 50 school or this that, and the other or whatever, yeah. you know, and it's just like, yeah, where you're saying like, well, they're not going to get in. It's like, well, like, what would we have to do to get them? And it's like, it's like that we shouldn't even be like, we're wasting we time here. Exactly. Um, so yeah, exactly. that's that's the impact is what it does to people is they're all right. getting you know tangled in knots trying to figure out like, you know, uh, how to get what they think they're supposed to get versus what is actually going to uh, benefit yeah. them. Well, you know, speaking of uh, you know the sort of fallible nature of these rankings, one big thing, including everything that you had mentioned, that is not. Uh, captured and measured by these rankings that I think is something that is, uh, you know, would be like a huge sort of, you know, bonus points to any institution is their capacity to, you know, retain students, you know, bring them back if they've stopped out or sort of, you know, uh, engage with stop out students, you know, these students that have some college and uh, no degree that I uh, mentioned before. So um, just sort of broad strokes, because again, I think it's, it's just that idea that like, these are also people who earnestly are going to want to be uh, getting their credential and, you know, maybe resetting after a period of time and searching for the place that's going to be the best fit for them and, you know, get them to where they want to be. So, you know, it, it's a big question. So take it as you will, but just sort of the impact and the potential um, of these stopout students returning to college. And, you know, they obviously could be returning to the same place, but a different modality or, you know, there's a lot of different shapes that this can take. So I'm just, I'm just curious your your perspective on that. Yeah, that's an interesting question because the the first thing that comes to mind for me is is the fact that a more majority of colleges in this country don't graduate students on time, and and I I think on time is between four and six years. Um, mm-hmm. And you know another thing that parents sort of or and students sort of spin around is. Yeah, this college has a 5% graduation rate, but that those 95% of students must not have been doing what they needed to do. And you're like, if it's 95%, it's not the student. It's, it's, it's the college is is not supporting students in in the way it should and and you probably don't want to even consider that school, you know. Um and um and then you get this like weird sort of phenomenon of like the sixth year senior, seventh year senior. And again, they're just waiting for a certain class to be available. Um, it, you know, <laughs> just hanging around until this one class that they need to graduate is available and then they can finish. But the students who ultimately leave, um, we know that the chances of them returning are so low. Um and this is why we even tell students this sort of like gap year stuff or like, you know, let me go find myself for a year backpacking in Europe. It, please don't do that. Like the chances of you 
showing back up are, are so incredibly low. Um, and, and you're right to point out that the other sort of problem is that you have students who went to these schools, got to tremendous debt, never finished, and now they have a high school diploma and are going to get high school diploma type jobs, but with college debt um, to pay back and it's a worse situation than they were in if they had not gone at all. Um, I, I'm trying to think of the sort of data I have on like students returning. Um, I just know in general, it's pretty low. I think, um, the, in most of these institutions don't necessarily, um, make it easy for students to come back, um, and finish. Um, um, which I think is also the, the, the sort of the crime of it, but of the 4,200 colleges in the country, we had the 354 that actually graduated at least 70% in six years and um, have meet their have their funding needs met and the degree has a return on the investment. But there are, you know, um, so many with these awful graduation rates and some of them within the first year um, and, and students tend to ignore it. Um, they also tend to ignore... Um, this is a huge strategy that we use um, in Bridget College um, when we talk about overmatching is we also know that statistically students who had way too much sort of handholding and servicing while they were in um, high school are like have really high likelihood of dropping out as well. You know, so um, that's where the charter schools have terrible graduation rates themselves and um, you know, like the, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to that. <laughs> I, was, I guess I could go on forever about this sort of, um, that piece. I, I guess, yeah, like maybe to like to clarify too, cause I, I presume maybe you work with students that are, you know, in this boat. Cause I, I guess I'm yeah. imagining that a situation could be that, you know, kind of what you were, I think you were getting at. And that's why I was starting to like connect the dots in my head is like, you know, a student initially, you know, they graduate high school. They're like, I'm going to college right away you know, that's cool. You don't have to, but that's your choice. All right. So that, like that's the path that we're going here. And they just make sort of a misinformed, you know, decision originally, which is why they maybe stop out or any number of other reasons that could interrupt a, a student studies. So then if, you know, you sort of catch them and are able to kind of nurture their return, you know, help facilitate that to, you know, a program and institution, you know, and everything that's going to be a better fit, you know, that does seem to be, you know, it makes sense, but like that does seem to be what's required. And certainly like you're saying too, like my impression is like a very small fraction of institutions yeah. are kind of playing this game. They will say, you know, it's like, Hey, we've built it. You can come, you know, we're, we're here whenever you're ready versus like, you know, outside companies or institutions themselves who are like really doing this work themselves to make themselves as accessible to students transferring in or returning after, extended periods of leave. So I guess just any, any reflections or anecdotes from, you know, experiences that you've had sort of working with students who are kind of like, you know, maybe kind of regretting the choice they made or originally or, you know, anything oh, like that gosh. and how you've kind of like, you know, yeah, like bridge them back yeah. into higher ed to make a better informed decision. So typically students who apply to the match schools, they graduate on time and everything's all good. There are students who don't listen <laughs> um, and they, they want to, and, and it's unfortunately happened where people come to us 
Um, and they're saying, I'm about to drop out or I have already dropped out of such and such school. How do I get back? And the, the first thing is most colleges don't let you come back, and at least not easily. They're not going to um, have the same funding options. They're not going to take the, the units. Um, they're going to want you to start all over anyway. Um, and so the AP credits the students had in high school might not count again. Um, we've had students where we've worked with who, who it's worked out. Like we, we figured out an institution in a way for, for them to do it, but it, it's been pretty difficult. Um, and, um, I would also say a lot of the reasons why students are leaving is because usually it's around some kind of funding thing. Like they, they thought they could swing it or, you know, the, the school pulled the funding away or, or something like that. But you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting point because if we consider the large amount of students who aren't graduating on time and then there's very little to support them to come back or, or graduate ever, um, it is it's, it is even worse. Um, but it I would say it's most it's, it's for any of the students that we've had. Like we had a student, for example, uh, Chicana student who wanted to be a physicist. And we were like, okay. <laughs> and we looked at some schools like Rice, um, and she just didn't want to, um, you know, fear of of going to the South, um, which, you know, that's that's for another day. But, yeah. And um, so I ended up going to Cal Poly um, San Luis Obispo and was the only person of color in all of her classes and just, just hated it. Um, and um, she was also, there weren't very many faculty of color either, so she didn't feel like she had anyone to go to. So, um, and then she wasn't funded. And so she left and we, we spent years trying to get her back into any institution. It was just nearly impossible, mostly because she couldn't get the money um, to go back. Um, and every year that it takes you, the it's another year that the price goes up. <laughs> so it was just mm -hmm. becoming more and more impossible. Um so yeah, it's a it's a really interesting point because um, you would think because of how high those dropout rates are that somebody would be accommodating and trying to get these students back, especially if they were admitted to these really competitive schools and and most institutions are not. Right, like I mean that's just I guess how it is. It's a uh, institutions would rather focus on new prospective students than you mm -hmm. know helping get. Uh, transfers or yeah stop out students to come back and those sort of yeah. things but i guess like this maybe it's just a natural sort of apex of the conversation because we, we've talked a lot about just how students are you know informing themselves to make these decisions and everything so what advice would you give to colleges themselves to better position themselves in this competitive market because i think it is really interesting what you're saying like that you know you've kind of searched through the haystack and found these you know needles that are these places that where it's like it's maybe not like the most apt metaphor. Like I'm thinking of like the movie Moneyball, um, yeah. where it's like yeah, it you're like really yeah, like getting into the stats and you're being like, wow, okay, these are like, you know, and again, I keep using just different mixing metaphors or whatever, but it's just how my brain works. Um, like the diamonds in the rough, you know, like that sort of thing where it's just right. like, you know, you discover these places and I'm sure it's maddening at times where it's like, wow, like, you know, these are great places that are hard to find and other institutions like yeah, they're just sort of touting more of their prestige or whatever. So, you know, this maybe is just the more like practical, tangible advice that 
you know, pad those stats, the ones that matter, uh, that, uh, yeah, just advice of how to get there, I guess, for colleges um, that you might give. Yeah. So the, we, the couple of trends that we've seen so far with the colleges that we partner with. Um, so when we go into to them, like uh, we talk about, you know, the students, but we also talk about like um, being able to use sort of correct competitor data, you know, so we, we have schools sort of assume one of the, uh, our partners is Southwestern University, for example. And so they, they're a, a liberal arts college in Austin. And so they thought their largest competitor was UT Austin. And so they're looking at the trends of UT Austin. And I was like, the kid who's going to be successful there is not the same kid <laughs> that's going to be success- successful at your institution. So that's the first thing that we look at is like, let's situate really who we're talking about. Um, but the other trends that we're seeing, you know, and is just how colleges almost get in their own way. You know, they do things like um, um, one trend we've seen is they typically fully fund students whose families earn between 110000 and 200000 And you're like, this is so strange because the, the lower income students um, are coming in with more federal money. So why wouldn't you just, you know, cover the the rest for them? Um, whereas the this, this student who's making 150 is, you know, it's not, I mean, especially if you're in the area, that's not doing it either. But, um, but they're, they're in a much different situation. And colleges, like, like the public, they have these implicit understandings of what it means to not have money. So they, they have all these assumptions about people who don't have money and, and if they are, you know, diligent and hardworking, like it's this terrible assumption, but that the, that society at large has. Um, another thing that we see is why I always harp on calculus is schools. Um, some schools are explicit about calculus and some are, implicitly do it too. So, you know, some schools, the freshman math, um, they won't even offer calculus, but they're still looking for calculus on transcripts. And most under-resourced schools don't even offer calculus or physics or chemistry. (laughs) And um, so, but these schools are still looking for it, not understanding that institutionally, this is something that the kid, the student couldn't have done. Um, so there, it's these weird things that they do that sort of get in their own way that we we demonstrate to them. Or, you know, another thing we show them, most schools, even with really good graduation rates, those are oftentimes averages. Um, but when you look at subgroups, they have really low ones. So we were talking to a college that had like a 96% graduation rate for everyone but Black students. So the, the graduation rate for Black students was 40%. And if, and it's more about like, what were they using as markers of success that probably were the wrong ones, like really inflated SAT scores um, to bring in these students and therefore missed what type of supports those students would need. Um, And that's why they're dropping out, you know, but in short, you know, we just see that it's a they're they very much get in their own way with these assumptions about standards and not understanding what high schools are actually offering or what students actually need to be successful. 
what students need to be successful, like that point you ended on, like it's a complex problem with complex solutions. Like I think, you know, a lot of institutions are just looking for, you know, very simple ones. And, you know, yeah, I think that's all all kind of stuff that we've covered in other episodes of the podcast. So go back and listen to all those. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, for the sake of time, um, you know, as we wind down, uh, we always like to share out resources. You know, we've covered a lot of stuff. And you mentioned a book earlier uh, that I'll make sure to link out to. But um, just any other books, podcast articles, you know, organizations, stuff for people to check out uh, on what we've covered today uh, that we can include in the show notes. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell did that. I don't, I, I haven't listened to all, but I'm, I'm sure um, you probably know Malcolm mm-hmm, Gladwell mm-hmm. did that one. And he did a couple of episodes on college. Um, and the one I reference a lot is, is he talks about this sort of, um, you know, if a college had $50,000, they would rather give 10 students $5,000 each who don't really need it than 50000 to the one student who really needs it because they make better money off of the other students. So it's, it's really compelling arguments that he gives um, for that one. Um, you know, there's a couple of Georgetown workforce studies that we use in the algorithms that talk about return on investment for the degrees. Um And the return on investment metric is, um, on average, are students earning more with a degree from this institution than they have to pay back in whatever loans that they do have to to do? And and that one was, um, it's a a huge uh, resource that we use. Um, Some of those schools, especially, you know, they look at a 10-year average. So there are students coming out of institutions and 10 years later, they're still at a negative number. You know, so those are schools mm. that we do not include. <laughs> um, but I think it would, that's a really compelling one um, for families. Um, if they, if they want to sift through that or, you know, of course looking, use the bridge college platform. But I, I would say those are the three good ones. Yeah. I did listen to that whole um, series that Malcolm Gladwell did on uh, rankings and, yeah, it's infuriating, but yes. just a very interesting breakdown. So it's uh, yeah, just a few episode series. We'll, we'll link out to that for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so, you know, we'll give you the floor here as we always do for our guests. Uh, final thought or call to action on this topic to end the episode. For parents and families, be really aware of what you actually want. Is it, you know, a university that you can get a really cool sweatshirt? You could buy the sweatshirt anyway. You don't have to go there <laughs> to do that. Um and just really prioritize what your academic, financial, and social needs are when you're looking at institutions and not just, you know, these sort of bragging rights. Um, and then the institutions really need to take a better look at the ways that they're getting in their own way when they're looking for students who would actually be successful at their institutions. I love it. Very clear. <laughs> uh, very awesome, actionable stuff uh, for folks. And uh, I just appreciate you so much for your your time and all that you shared and uh, stuff to check out in the show notes. We we'll have ways to connect with you and uh, Bridge to College as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I love talking about this stuff. It's kind of like just breaking down all these kind of preconceived notions and paradigms, and you know, it's kind of compelling us and moving us forward towards uh, you know just where we need to be as a sector, you know, higher education. So yeah, um, just appreciate you uh, doing the work. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.